from GreenBiz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here at GreenBiz headquarters at 350 Frankogawa Plaza in downtown Oakland, California. On today's edition, it's the Weekend Preview. We'll talk about some of the themes and memes we'll be following in 2016, the key technologies that will enable sustainability solutions this year, and where GreenBiz is going this year. It's Back to the Future, this week on 350. It's January 8th, 2016. Welcome to our 2016 kickoff edition of GreenBiz 350. I'm here with GreenBiz Senior Editor Lauren Hepler. Happy 2016, Lauren. Happy New Year to you too, Joel. How's it going? Good. How's your year shaping up? Good, good. I'm trying to be excited about the rain from El Nino, though it has unfortunately rained in my apartment as well. But how were your holidays? Did you stay dry? I stayed dry and I stayed here in uh, the Bay Area. I did not go anywhere, um, which was really great. Saw a lot of movies. Um, uh, Big Short, uh, Brooklyn, Star Wars, and uh, liked them all, actually. I want to see Spotlight. I saw Spotlight earlier. That's great. Yeah, very good. Um, Yeah, and, um, you know, still coming off the buzz of of Paris and COP, I've been talking to a lot of people uh, who were there, who I'm just now catching up with. Some of them I saw there, some of them I didn't, some of them I tried to see, and, and getting everyone's perspective. And it's really interesting, first of all, how uniformly positive it is and um and but also how that's leading people into 2016 mm-hmm. i mean it really more so than anything else and i'll you know i wrote this in you know in the intro to the uh it's the, we're publishing next month the state of green business report that if there ever was a turning point a seminal moment uh, uh, inflection point in sustainable business it really you know where things just changed uh, it really, I think, was Paris, and I really feel that coming into this year, so it's exciting. Yeah. I've already seen a couple of flashy headlines about why this will this year will be the beginning of the end for fossil fuels and all that, so yeah. lots for us to parse. Yeah, there's a lot of hyperbole out there, too. I mean, you, you, you know, one of the things we've learned in this field for so long is this stuff takes a lot of time. It takes a long time. Some of these things, you know, are overnight success stories, but the the night began in the 70s, you know, solar, for example. And so we're in for a long haul. But, you know, there does come a moment in not just technologies, but movements. Uh, we saw it last year with divestment and other things that uh, where it just suddenly kicks in and we may see that this year. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So let's, before we get into the year ahead, let's just talk about the Week in Review. So this is the point in the podcast when we cover the Week in Review, and it has been a busy week back shaking everyone out of the holiday stupor. Uh, My week started with the news that General Motors invested a whopping $500 million into the ride-sharing startup Lyft. That was not an acquisition because Lyft is valued at about $5 billion, but that is a huge investment for GM to make. And that's not the first time GM's done this. They invested in relay rides, uh, which I don't know if what I haven't really heard a lot about lately, although I've seen some relay ride um, denoted cars uh, occasionally here in the Bay Area. 
but they've this that's a where you anyone can turn their car into a, a car sharing using the GM um, OnStar. Uh, but you can you know open your car remotely and and, and track it. And so, uh, you know, they've been trying this for a while. But this is this one made a lot more news for some reason. Yeah, I mean, it's all about harnessing sort of the on-demand transportation movement and car companies starting to recalibrate for a scenario where personal car ownership potentially starts to decline. Um, and both companies, uh, GM and Lyft, have started to also wade into the potential down the road to combine autonomous driving, this crazy self-driving cars, with ride-sharing. Um, so that puts them into competition with Tesla, Uber, Apple, Mercedes, BMW, just this um, really busy landscape of transportation that we've talked a lot about. And I think that's one of the themes we're going to be seeing this year and for the next few years. But it's really, I think one of the surprises of 2015 was how the autonomous, electric, connected car world uh, just started you know really started in earnest and and how apple and google and everyone's getting into it and how the big car companies the fords and gms and toyotas and hondas and bmws are all thinking about this and doing things very actively and of course the teslas uh, I mean, it's really become an interesting space, and we'll talk a little bit later with uh, Heather Clancy, not a lot about cars, but she's uh, was just talking about the uh, Consumer Electronics Show this week in Las Vegas, and, uh, you know, in some ways that whole event has become known as All Cars Considered. Right. That's just a huge theme. Yeah, and it, the other thing that has come out of CES already this week is sort of the coalescence of this auto tech boom with other macro tech trends like the Internet of Things. I know Ford announced today that they had partnered with Amazon on trying to integrate connected cars and smart homes, which is something Ford's been playing around with a lot. We've written about them partnering with the smart thermostat company Nest in the past, but obviously the upshot there for sustainability is if you can make cars more efficient and then link that with energy efficiency, then it becomes really interesting. Um, And we actually have heard about this from some of the automakers themselves at our Verge event this past fall in San Jose. Uh, Peter Kosak, who has an interesting title, the executive director of urban mobility at General Motors, spoke a little bit about how his company is looking to position itself in this world where shared cars start to blend the traditional parameters of car ownership. What closes the loop, and this is really, I think, where the revolution is occurring, are all the things that enable a shared use experience that essentially feels like ownership. If you can make it seamless, and if you can make it convenient, and if you can make it without question reliable, these are the kinds of things that are going to unlock the potential of sharing and make sharing something that that more and more people will want to do. So these are, you know, apps that allow you to access vehicles without without keys and things that allow you to, you know, drive and get information without having to stare at your smartphone. Um, So this is the, the way that we're looking, and this is kind of a strategic game board for us. You make selections as you stand up different products that are essentially uh, combinations of these. So Joel, I know you were talking earlier about the movies you were seeing over the holidays, and we had a great piece this week that I had the pleasure of editing. It was written by David Wigder, who is with the company Flipboard, and he talked about the potential role of Hollywood in averting climate catastrophe. He used the example of the movie Concussion, which recently came out and takes on the link between football and brain injuries, and posited the question of whether we would have that moment of a movie 
putting climate on the popular agenda. Yeah, you may remember that the, a certain uh, former vice president, would-be president, uh, did win an Academy Award for an inconvenient truth uh, way back when. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, what is the role for popular culture in getting people's minds really thinking about not just climate change, but what does it mean and how does it, you know, what is, uh, you know, what, what could happen? We saw, you know, the, the, what was that movie, The um, Day After Tomorrow, when this ice sheet melting shuts down the circulation of the oceans and basically, you know, you see next thing you know, the Empire State Building is up to her armpits. And, I mean, I'm sorry, the Statue of Liberty is <laughs> yeah. up to her armpits. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, but so in other words, it's very sensational. So on one hand, you have this total over-dramatization. On the other hand, you have this, you know, factual, kind of dry, but, you know, entertaining enough movie. And so where are the thoughtful, entertaining, non-sensational movies? And I think that's the concussion reference. We really haven't had that. And, you know, there's... Um, uh, there are a number of organizations in, in Hollywood. One of them, the most prominent, is the EMA, the Environmental Media Association, that, that um, gives out awards to, you know, for pro both production content and production process uh, to television and, and, and movies. Uh, but, you know, it's still, uh, and they're good friends of ours, and I think they're, they're, what they do is critically important in terms of being able to use the power of communications but we still haven't had that big hit. We're still waiting for the, the blockbuster. Spotlight did some version of that around the you know, priest and child molestation issue. Um, and at least, you know, we've seen a number of things, the insider on, on smoking and, and the you know, big corporates and tobacco uh, industry. Uh, you know, where we, and so David's piece is pretty interesting. And how do we create those kinds of things that really just people say, oh, I get it. And, and equally important, you know, we, this has been one of my hobby horses for a while, is that we don't have anyone out there, and Hollywood could play a huge role here, in telling a story of what happens if we get things right. Mm, that's true. Right? I mean, we know what happens if we get things wrong. Thank you, Al Gore. Thank you, Bill McKibb. Thank you, Bill McKibb. You know, I mean, we, it's critically important. But we don't have any visions of... Of, of success into that happy path of, you know, in terms of what the world can be when everybody has access to food and, you know, food and water and housing and, and energy. And uh, a lot of things we'll talk about in a minute, the sustainable development goals. But, you know, it's a really positive vision. And, and there is a way of telling that story in a way where people say, well, really, if that's possible, why wouldn't we do it that way? Mm-hmm looking at resilience and energy independence and a lot of sort of those brighter stories. It's interesting, too, because David does toss out a freebie for any movie producers who may be reading greenbiz.com. He gives three movies that he'd like to see, and one is on ancient bacteria being brought back to life as a glacier, as glacier ice melts cause pandemic, so that's a little terrifying. Also, what would happen if global food stocks were to collapse from widespread drought and ocean acidification? But I agree, Joel. I think there's also probably a pitch in there for something a little brighter. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, and by the way, speaking of entertainment, I think one of my favorite things to start the new year is a song, a music video Produced by an old friend of mine, uh, Alan Atkinson, um, who's uh, who's just one of these remarkable sort of almost Renaissance men. He's been a sustainability author, editor, advisor, but he's also um, uh, a singer-songwriter. 
and uh, and I saw him. Oh, in the 90s, I guess, uh, do a musical presentation about uh, a, a movement called the Natural Step, which was a sustainable business uh, framework that actually came out of Sweden, which is where Alan lives. Uh, and he did it in song, and it was just remarkable because nobody does that. <laughs> nobody, they get up and they do, they may give an inspiring speech and they may make people laugh along the way. I've been known to try and do that. But nobody does a breaks out into song and really, in a, a really, well done. So Alan created uh, this music video, five minutes and 10 seconds for those keeping <laughs> score um, on uh, the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. Now, unfortunate let, acronym. Let's, uh, let's pause it that that SDG just sounds like something else we won't name, but it's just an unfortunate acronym. The Sustainable Development Goals, uh, for those who don't know or remember, were uh, gaveled into uh, action by the United Nations in September by the General Assembly, and it's a series of 17 uh, goals uh, for the next 15 years actually replace something called the Millennium Development Goals that went from 2000 to 2015, and the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, are going to take us from 2015 to, to 2030, and it's a lot of big, hairy, audacious goals like Ending hunger, ending poverty, ending poverty, yeah. and solving climate change. But these are the the in effect the the roadmap, the direction that we want to. You know, in other words, if you don't name the goal, then we can. It's just incremental solutions along the way. So, Alan, in with all his infinite wisdom and incredible talent, wrote this song called um, "You Know uh, We Love the SDGs," and I have to say, it's pretty damn catching, uh, <laughs> catchy, and that I found myself singing it uh, way too much in my head. It was one of those earwigs, earbugs uh, that, yeah. that sort of get in your brain. And, and I guess that's a good thing in the case of something so positive. But this is a fun, fun um, video. And I really encourage you, we'll have a link to it uh, on the page for this webcast because uh, we wrote a story. But actually, Alan wrote a story about why he did this it's this week uh, on GreenBiz. And... Um, in fact, maybe as we head out of the uh, weekend review, we can uh, we can hear a little little yeah, sample of uh, we love the SDGs. And the road is long, but maybe this is what we were meant for. We're seven billion strong. Can this finally be our time? Can these seventeen goals all arrive? We love the So it's another year, and it's another blank slate of sorts, another time to make uh, prognostications and predictions about what's coming. And 
you know, it's a, it's 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 always a fun time to do that. One of the things that we do traditionally, as you know, Lauren, at the beginning of each year, is we go out to a number of our friends, uh, members of our executive network, some of the speakers from our events, just people we know and, and respect, and ask them what they think is coming up. Uh, we'll get to some of that in a minute. Um, but you know, one of the things you wrote this week was just sort of five reasons that this is the year that uh, for a change of climate on climate change. Yeah, I probably still have COP on the brain a little bit, but I did do a piece to start this week off. Uh, five ways 2016 will be a make or break year for climate change. Um, and that looked at issues like the fight over fossil fuels. As I alluded earlier, seen lots of polemic headlines already, sort of how will we see the coal slump play out, the declining oil prices. We obviously talk a lot about issues like stranded assets, how are companies going to deal with um, the carbon intensive assets they already have on their books. Um, but there's also some interesting stuff for the private sector, like this whole issue of green greed that we've also alluded to a little bit where companies... What do you mean by that? Yeah, that, so that's where companies are starting to buy into clean energy, maybe for altruistic reasons or because it's like good for employee attraction to have a lot of solar, but also because it makes financial sense to sort of gird against long-term fossil fuel price volatility. Yeah, I mean... For my money, it doesn't really matter. In fact, I actually think that's a far better reason that companies do things is because it makes good business sense. You know, in fact, uh, I, I sometimes speak in, in business schools and and I'll, I'll talk about what's going on out there and people, uh, someone wise student will raise raise her hand and say, well, yeah, they're not doing that for sustainability. They're just <laughs> doing that because it's good business. And I say, bingo. And right. so that that's, yeah, that, that's exactly why. And I think that's important to, to distinguish that that's not just about you know creating a green image. In fact, some of the companies doing these things aren't even talking about it. Yeah. And the question is sort of how much that opens the door for other companies to get involved that otherwise wouldn't be that interested in wind or solar. We're certainly seeing the conversation uh, kick up around renewables procurement. We've talked about that on this show. We talk about it a lot at our events. And 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 the number of companies, it's it, we tend to focus on the companies that are making big, hairy, audacious, 100% renewables commitments. And there's a fair number of those now that are doing that. But there's also, at the other end, the companies that are just dipping their organizational toe in the water that are saying, well, how do we start? And, and where, you know, first of all, we, we're in a state that doesn't have, you know, favorable policy climate or, you know, uh, renewable portfolio standards or net metering or whatever ever else. And so I think we're getting a lot of newbies that are coming in that are trying to just now starting to figure it out. And the technology options, the uh, service providers are really playing into that and making sort of this entry level offering available. Mm -hmm. In terms of potential barriers, though, a couple other things um, that I hit on in my piece and that I've been hearing more about in interviews is sort of this policy climate. I mean, a lot of times we think about businesses being like, oh, policy, let's, let's not go too into the weeds. But on issues like clean energy, some clarity between these all over the place state and regional laws would be helpful. Um, but you've also got sort of the bigger issue of the 2016 election now staring us in the face. Um, so how climate figures into that or doesn't. Yeah, but, you know, I think that's changing too. not the presidential part, but uh, on the first part on the policy, 
Uh, we had in our office this week uh, Graham Richards, who's the uh, president or the head CEO of uh, Advanced Energy Economy, um, a trade association that's working with what they call advanced energy, which includes clean technology, clean energy. But we're talking about, and they work at the policy level. They work uh, with uh, local utility, uh, uh, public utility commissions and state legislators to try and really, and, and, and really at the grassroots politically, and what they're seeing now is uh, our companies, uh, the Googles and, 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 and Ebays and Apples, uh, that are actually going to their legislators in, in places like, say, North Carolina and saying, you know, you're about to pass something that's really going to uh, make it hard or, or you're going to defeat something that would have made it easier for renewable energy. And that's going to have a negative implication on the business we're doing here and the business we're thinking of doing here. And that's having an impact. And we're starting to see more companies at the local level really play the political game much more effectively than they have in the past, particularly around uh, renewable energy. That's another storyline I'm really interested to follow this year. We've covered companies like Apple and Google hiring into their sustainability ranks people with really intense D.C. credentials. Uh, obviously, Apple has brought on board the former EPA administrator, Lisa Jackson. Google this year quietly hired the former White House chief sustainability officer, Kate Brandt. Um, so it's this whole issue of, like you're saying, business is getting more interested on the policy side of the equation. And smarter about how to do it. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, and there's also this whole issue, obviously, we talk about politics, the other big one on the radar is money and financing a low carbon future. Um, so when it comes to renewable energy, uh, there are sort of a slew of purchase options coming online um, with PP, per, power purchase agreements, virtual PPAs, this whole field. Um, so recognizing the funding shortfall to finance these big utility scale projects. You've got Wall Street banks, institutional investors, um, individual investors like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg sort of ponying up now. Uh, so interested to see if we see other big commitments there or if we get more details about where that money is actually going to go. Yeah, and we have uh, we had Barbara Grady on this show uh, a week or two ago talking about uh, the finance piece and all the big banks, the Goldmans and Cities and Wells Fargo's and, and Chase uh, and others that are in the World Bank. And then, of course, yeah, the, what just happened in Paris with Zuckerberg and, and others uh, putting money into this. And it, it sort of begs the question is, you know, will we have all this money chasing too few good investable deals? And, and I think, you know, will we get a little bit of a bubble? I don't know. Or, or, or you know, hopefully... Uh, they will have learned from some of the earlier bubbles that uh, in terms of you know, where the best way to uh, put this money is and, you know, and how much of it is uh, scaling existing solutions, how much of it is creating new solutions. So it'll be really interesting to see to literally follow the money. <laughs> right, right. And the final thing to sort of round out our five reasons why we see 2016 as a big year for climate um, is the two really big stories we had in 2015 that weren't good news stories on the environmental front. There was the VW scandal, um, and the U.S. Department of Justice has actually sued VW since they haven't figured out the recall situation on the 
diesel emissions cheating there. Um, and then also the news that Exxon had suppressed internal climate science for decades. Talk about things that could be optioned into a movie. Um, but <laughs> so they, there is this whole shade of sort of keeping corporate bad actors in check as much as we talk about um, the positive goals that are being set. That is something that you can't really ignore. Yeah. Corporate crimes and the Hollywood theme. We'll see where that goes. <laughs> right. But on a more positive note, too, we did have a really fun end of year series um, that was put together by John Davies, who is our vice president and senior analyst at Green Biz Group. Uh, he runs our Green Biz Executive Network um, that's looking at big billion dollar companies coming together, um, brings together their chief sustainability officers, part group therapy, part best practices. And we had him on the show last week yeah, to talk so about what they were seeing in the past year. Yes, so now a familiar figure, but the series he did was great. He sort of asked a series of questions to sustainability executives. I pulled out a couple of my favorites. Um, so the first thing that he asked sustainability executives the questions they would want to be asked in 2016. And Laurel Peacock, who is the senior manager of sustainability at NRG Energy, um, she said that she'd like a traditional investor to ask her, what are you doing to manage climate change risks and mitigate effects in your industry? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if she's going to get that question anytime well, soon. Well, a girl's got to have a dream. <laughs> right, right. Um, so in a similar vein, we had um, the question, what headline would you like to read as a sustainability executive next year? Um, and the one that obviously, I mean, can't ignore it, Jenny Cross, who's the vice president of corporate sustainability and Mohawk Industries, said, quote, Trump exits politics, and that was in all caps. Um, but she actually did give a thoughtful answer in terms of sort of we need a, a climate of mutual respect to make any progress on anything, let alone climate change. Um, but Dave Stangus, who's the vice president of public affairs and corporate responsibility at Campbell Soup Company, also said that CEOs finally realize what they were calling CSR and sustainability are actually critical enablers for a competitive advantage in the 21st century. Yeah, I really encourage everyone to read this piece because it really has a lot of different takes on both of these pieces on, on how chief sustainability officers at big companies are thinking about their world and some of the things they, they wish and, and hope for. Um, and, and literally some of the stories they want to read. And it gets, you know, fairly fairly technical. Uh, uh, Grandy Wilson, the global sustainability director at CH2M, a giant global engineering firm, uh, said that the uh, one of the headlines she wants to read is that engineer oyster, engineered oyster reef saves coastal community from hurricane floods. I mean, that's a dream. Kind of catchy. Yeah, right. so it's yeah, a dream come true. I'm sure the headline writers can you know, punch that up a bit. But um, uh, I think it really speaks to the, the kinds of things that so many companies and so many sustainability executives are working on that they're stories that want to be told and they're the stories that they want to see propagated about how what they're doing is really succeeding. Um, and it's not just about greening up the company. It's about creating, uh, you know, new oppor business opportunities and new solutions to to pressing problems and and i'm going to come back to one more time lauren um that's really i think one of the big themes that that came out of paris i had a conversation this week with mark kenber who's the uh ceo of the, of the climate group in london he'll be speaking at our green biz 16 event in next month in Scottsdale, and, and we were talking a number of conversations I had with people who I, I saw at Paris and hadn't caught up with, and he said that, you know, for him, uh, 
the big difference between the COP15 in Copenhagen and COP21 uh, in Paris was that, you know, they came out of, out of Copenhagen talking about, well, how much is this going to cost and how much is this going to be disruptive? Um, and people came out of Paris talking about what's the opportunity? How big is the opportunity? How do we seize it? How do we, you know, just finance and, and scale all these technologies that uh, can really address this at the scale that needs to be scaled? And so that's exciting. Mm-hmm. It has been sort of an interesting way that the script has been flipped in some ways. Um, we've been talking for a long time about the uh, how it can be wise to invest in clean energy, but when this is actually being talked about by really big-name companies, uh, you have government officials from all over the world, uh, it, it really does seem like sort of a tipping point. Well, for us, at, you know, here at GreenBiz and just... Here comes the, the the plug. You know, we've been talking about this at Verge for well since 2011. This you know how technology accelerates sustainability solutions in a climate constrained world. Uh, how do we accelerate and affect the low carbon economy? Um, and I came back from Paris, and I you know Monday morning came into the office, and and I looked at the team, and I said, you know, this is our moment. The, the, the world has come to what we've been talking about for a long time. And so, yeah, 2016 is going to be a really exciting year. So this is part of the show where we take a look at what's new at GreenBiz. And since this is our year in preview show, we're going to uh, talk about what's coming up for GreenBiz in 2016 and to do that we've got uh, our ceo my boss eric furrow uh here uh eric welcome hey joel have you ever really had a boss no <laughs> I, I need to i like to call you my boss right, right. because it's fun i like it too yeah. um but uh give us a preview what, what what's exciting for you what are we what are you working on well i think the most exciting thing is just feeling a little wind at our back coming out of cop and that's really exciting. Um, and I, we're going to, the first live experience that will be at the Green Biz 16 event in Phoenix, um, which, you know, as you know, is really a who's who of the leaders in sustainability. Um, I would say I'm most interested in, in, in uh, Ellen MacArthur. I think that the circular economy is just a really fascinating topic that's not particularly new necessarily, but new vernacular which we will dive into in great detail in a report that's going to be coming out hopefully February, March timeframe with yeah. our partners at UPS. It's actually showing up in a couple of places because uh, the Green Biz Forum uh, is uh, tied somewhat to the uh, State of Green Business report that we put out at look at 10 key trends, uh, among other things, but 10 key trends that uh, we're tracking for the year ahead. And uh, just a little sneak preview, but yeah, circular economy is going to be right in there. And so, yeah, we're, we're seeing how that ties in with kind of everything we've been talking about in, in green business, sustainable business, but certainly the low-carbon economy. Yeah, and it's interesting. It will also be a topic at our Verge Hawaii event, which one of the best things about doing a Verge Hawaii event is Decem- in December, Lane Shea, our Verge program director, and I got to go to Hawaii and meet with a lot of the stakeholders, and it's really fascinating to work directly with the state on how are they going to get to 100% renewable, which they are the first state to have legislated that by 2045. Mm-hmm. And so Verge, that's taking us into the realm of low carbon technology and sort of this whole convergence of sustainability and technology. So any topics there you're especially excited to dig into in the year ahead? Well, what's been really fun 
is every the event business is great because you iterate every year. And the team here, what's been really exciting is to look at where we've come from Verge in the last five years. And this gets back to the conversation about COP is that five years ago, we couldn't talk about accelerating the low carbon economy. That wouldn't be how we would describe the ecosystem we're building. And they would have looked at us and said, oh, you're, you're in California, right? <laughs> right, right, right. More, more closely to Berkeley in California as right. well. Um, so I think as an umbrella, you know, when we think both about Hawaii and our uh, Verge 16 event, being able to really openly put that on our sleeves is really exciting for us. And I think as, as a sort of meta concept in aligning that, you know, we've been throwing about the idea of the CES of the low carbon economy, mm-hmm. and it's a really, it's a great rallying concept. Mm-hmm. And that's also not the only Verge event. I know we'll be headed back down to Silicon Valley in the fall. Is there anything you can tell us about Verge 16 at this point? Yeah, all week we've been having a lot of conversations with deep partners, and, it, and, the, and the theme I would say is that we're just going deeper with them. So USDN um, is the urban... Sustainability Directors Network. Network. Thank you. <laughs> acronym after acronym. And then uh, AEE, Joel, what is, what is AEE? Uh, we've already talked about it on this show, the Ad- Advanced Energy Economy. Yeah, both great partners, and they're just folks that we've sat down with here at the Green Biz headquarters and talked about how do we – I think the new thing is, is thinking about how do we talk and understand from their members what they need most this year, what's going to help them get their agenda faster. Yeah, and and we're moving uh, this year too the event uh, and uh, to get a little more elbow room. Talk about that. Yeah, it's a great problem to have, and we constantly outgrow our previous facility. So we are moving to the Santa Clara Convention Center, which is a great, great facility right in the heart of Silicon Valley. Um, intimate, but provides us a lot more room for exhibitors. We're going to work with countries to provide pavilions with technologies from all around the world. So really excited about that. Yeah. And so that's the event piece. And then beyond that, we've got uh, everything else, you know, the Green Biz Executive Network. And uh, you talked about research. Um, You know, there's just a whole bunch of reports on collaborating on innovation that the state of the profession, I already mentioned the state of green business, uh, and uh, the report agenda is is getting uh, pretty full, thanks to our, our our good friend John Davies. And and the, uh, the by the way, we should plug the Green Biz Intelligence Panel, which is a uh, uh, survey body of about five thousand uh, of you listeners out there who uh, allow us to uh, survey them on a regular basis, and we use that for both our own surveys and some of those with our partners. And we'd love uh, if, you, you know, if we'll have a link to that on this page if you are interested in becoming a part of that. A very simple form to fill out. Um, does this year feel different, Eric, than last year in any way? Yeah, like I said, I think it is. It is. I think the wind at the back is a really, really great feeling. And, you know, it's it's fun to start the year with uh, fun trips. And I should say a little plug for John Davies. Our friends at Disney are hosting the Green Biz Executive Network next week. So we'll have back-of-the-house tour there in Orlando, but also get to go see Cape Canaveral and get yeah. a tour there. So very excited yeah. about that. Thanks to our friends at NASA, who we had on stage at Verge. Yeah, it's all just plying our connections. But <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're, we're very much looking forward to that. And then, of course, we'll be back here in San Francisco at PG&E headquarters. And then we'll be down at Phoenix, uh, adjacent to the Phoenix Open that Waste Management puts on. So those will be our three GBAN uh, meetings for January. Well, um, yeah. Well, thanks, Eric. It's uh, it's always fun to just talk about the year ahead and this fresh moment in January. And uh, yeah, thanks for 
making it all happen. Yeah, you too. So one of the things that's going on this week is the Consumer Electronics Show, CES, uh, in Las Vegas. 170,000 people uh, coming down. It's uh, That's crazy. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. In fact, I've been reading articles in, I think, the Wall Street Journal about it's just too big, mm-hmm. you know, and what's going to happen. And that's, a, again, a problem. I'm sure that the CES folks are not sweating. But um, a big theme that, I, in fact, uh, I'm... Uh, by on Friday uh, today, I'm uh, actually uh, moderating a panel down there uh, on um, uh, sustainability in in ICT world with uh, Samsung and HP and UPS and some others. Um, it'd be interesting conversation to hear how sustainability fits into all of this. Uh, and we talked already earlier about sort of the connected cars and and how much that's a part of this, but. To get a preview on technology, we had a story uh, this week by uh, uh, Heather Clancy, our senior writer, uh, talking who covers tech and, and talking about some of the technologies that she's excited about in the year ahead. And I just a few minutes ago had a conversation with her about it. And uh, here's what we talked about. So, Heather, you're not at CES this week, but you look at technology all year long. And a lot of that technology, as we talk about at Verge, has to do with sustainability things, climate change and energy efficiency. So what are you seeing? What are the things that are popping up for you this year? Well, for me, yes, I'm not at CES, but I I think it's a great opportunity to see what's going on at CES. You can kind of be more reflective. And as I was thinking about the technologies that I plan to cover this year and really focus in on, several themes popped out of that show that were so huge that I thought, wow, okay, it makes sense. You know, consumer consumer technologies and the way they affect the corporate world. You know, there's there's no particular order, but I noticed um, 3D printers were kind of big. And, you know, it's very easy to be pessimistic about it because two of the better known players, Stratasys and 3D Systems, have ha- didn't have such great t- 2015s. They led layoffs, executive upheaval, um, one of them actually ditched their consumer product. But, but I think this year is going to be a breakthrough year. We've got three huge mainstream technology companies heading towards a space. In no particular order, Autodesk, um, HP Inc., right? The, the new um, Hewlett Packard spinoff. And even Toshiba. So Toshiba, which has been having all sorts of trouble itself, is all three of those companies are talking up this, this technology, and, you know, why, why are those three companies important? One, one is obviously the, the sort of their ability to pull the prices down. You know, who wants to pay $100,000 for one of these things, especially if it's just, quote, just a prototyping machine, end quote. I think they'll also help make the speeds faster, which has been kind of a, a, you know, a gating factor, as well as they're all experimenting, or at least Toshiba is experimenting with, metals, right? So they're going to be using finally metals, being able to pr- produce components with metal as opposed to just plastic. Yeah. And that has a huge impact on on prototyping, as you said, and on, on getting uh, speeding up the R&D process in getting products to market. Uh, and also the customize, customization of things. You can now you know, uh, have an airplane part ready at its next stop because they have a, a printer in the hangar. Uh, and, and that's cool stuff. But one of the things I'm a little concerned about, and I don't know if you've touched on this, but it's just sort of a pet topic for me, is you know, what are these materials that right. are going into additive manufacturing? Because we're, we're entering mm. into this world of, of continuous you know, circular economy. Have you seen anybody paying attention to that yet? 
So all of the machines that I'm talking about right now are in prototypes. So that means they haven't, they haven't really been explicit about the kinds of metals. But for example, Toshiba is going to be using powdered metals. So what does that mean? Does it mean it's, it's um, materials that they're reusing? I mean, there, there is a reuse scenario there, right? Being able to do that. And I still personally look at the, the logistics impact, right? Shipping things around the world or, you know, as a huge thing versus many small things. Also, the, you know, the ability to prototype something and decide, ooh, that design doesn't work. It's not, it's not sustainable ahead of time. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you on the materials, and we don't know enough about that yet, but it balances out. As with many things, it does balance, right, or attempts to balance. Well, we hope so. So, <laughs> so, so uh, let's move on to the next one, artificial intelligence. Ooh, so this is like one of my favorite topics just because I'm fascinated. I'm, I, I'm old enough to remember the scary howl, right, <laughs> from, from the Space Odyssey movie. But artificial intelligence, if you think about it, in my mind, is what makes analytics work, right? It is the ability to take all of these huge big data questions we have, you know, how much should I adjust my thermostat based on the weather conditions and based on how many people are in the office and based on X, Y, and Z, all of these factors, all of these, this data that it's just so impossible to sort as a human manually, right? Artificial intelligence is what make analytics work. Um, it's so important for, uh, like I mentioned, energy management, calibrating energy, clean energy systems, right? Based on the, the uh, weather predictions that, that you have for a particular area and based on maybe past patterns. And it's also going to be instrumental for self, self-driving vehicles. If you think about it, these cars that we're talking about are loaded with sensors of all sorts, cameras and GPS systems, and um, in some cases, maybe environmental sensors that will tell you if you should switch to green driving mode, if you know, green, we switch to a different driving mode based on, on what you're doing. And those all require analysis. And there's just no way a human can, can do that. Split second analysis. <laughs> Split second analysis, right? You don't want, you want to be able to see that you're going to have an impact, right? With a, with a car and be able to adjust way before it, it, that impact happens. Yeah. You don't want um, your, you don't want your car thinking about it. No, you don't want your car thinking about it. You want it to, to help take action even before you have a chance to think about it. So is this, I mean, we've been hearing about this and, and one of your other mm. uh, trends, self-driving uh, cars, autonomous vehicles, and these are all obviously connected and literally, mm. Uh, mm. but is, is this really moving along as fast or faster than people anticipated? What, what do you think the rate of change is? Because we've been talking about this for a while. So there's two really huge things happening. One is that many of the companies that are, that are doing a lot of research here are starting to open source their technology. They're starting to open up their software and say, hey, this is what we found out. Now, what, you know, we're using it for image recognition. What do you want to do for it? What, what can you do with this technology? And I'm talking major companies, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, IBM. I mean, these companies are no slackers when it comes to intellectual property. Apple. And Apple, absolutely. I think Apple has been actually less open than the others, I have to say. But these companies are saying, hey, listen, this is important. Here's what we're doing. What, what can you do? Um, that's, that's number one. Secondarily, you've got the processing power and, and the, the chips that are uh, enabling this to happen are coming down in price. Uh, there's like, NVIDIA. I'm looking here at a press release from NVIDIA from CES. A supercomputer for your car the 
processing power of 150 MacBook Pros in your self-driving car. This is a, a, a chip platform that's specifically focused on self-driving vehicles. Can process the inputs of 12 video cameras plus LiDAR, radar, and ultrasonic sensors. So the, the, um, the hardware, the processing power is, is coming into play as well. NVIDIA, Intel absolutely is focused on this, and so is Qualcomm. So people that have a huge uh, credible following in the processing community are, are getting focused in on it as well. So that's, I think, why this is happening much more quickly than it has in the past. Great. So the last one I want to talk about are drones. I mean, we've been hearing about drones for a while. We've been seeing them. You know, Amazon's got them, thinking about them for delivery. We're seeing problems with them flying in front of airplanes. And But what's going on here? And what's the sustainability play when it comes to drones? So drones. There are one million commercial drones expected in the air. Well, or at least potentially be in the air by the end of this year. There are three interesting areas right now. In my mind, there are many more, but these three are, are, are emerging more quickly. One is the agricultural area. We've written about that before, but we have a specific drone now focused on agricultural applications. It's from Yamaha out of Japan. And one of the things that they're pointing out as an application could be dispensing fertilizer. We've got companies now specifically focusing on the agricultural applications. I've also seen some interesting statistics about how drones will be used for the grid and specifically in monitoring and making sure the lines are, are safe and making sure the lines are, are operating properly, potentially make, you know, storm damage, et cetera, or even just how, how lines are encroaching on or vegetation that are encroaching on lines. It could be something important for the distributed grid. The specific revenue projection is a $4.1 billion market by 2024. That's nothing to sneeze at. So a lot of the power companies, utilities are, are, are probably looking at drones as well. And Ford had an interesting application. Yes, they have plenty to say about self-driving vehicles this week at CES, but they're also playing with drone maker DJI. Now, if you don't know who that company is, they're huge. They're um, out of China, and I think they are the world's largest drone maker, at least from the hobbyist point of view. But Ford is running a competition where they're encouraging people to develop applications that would use drones in collaboration with its pickup trucks. You could imagine a disaster scenario where uh, someone's in the field with a truck and then sends a drone out for information to collect information and data. You could also see that being used for sustainability, you know, agricultural applications, again, forestry, right? So checking, checking for trees that have been cut down, lumber, construction, um, you, you name it, bridge inspections, etc. So those are three just very top of mind applications, but definitely a huge area to watch. Well, the prospect of a million drones fluttering about is a little scary. And don't even get me started on drone selfies, the next generation of uh, <laughs> people following themselves around with a drone to get pictures for Twitter and Instagram. But uh, it's exciting stuff and I look forward to your continuing great coverage of this throughout the year. So senior writer Heather Clancy, thanks so much. Thank you very much, Joel.
All right, so let's shift gears and take a look at what's coming up in the week ahead. Joining me now is GreenBiz.com Managing Editor Elsa Wenzel. Hi, can I still say Happy New Year? Yes, yes, you're <laughs> definitely Happy allowed. New Year! <laughs> <laughs> so what, what have we got cooking for next week, Elsa? Senior writer Barbara Grady will be looking at some interesting frontiers Autodesk is exploring in 3D printing, which includes the use of biological materials rather than toxic polymers. So it's working with Berkeley graduate students in green chemistry and exploring biomimicry, and that seems like a really neat piece I'm looking forward to checking out. We also have Bob Langer, former sustainability chief at McDonald's, who will talk about the fast food chain's new packaging, how it's evolved over the years, and what all of that means for sustainability and working with nonprofit groups along the way. And we have a piece from another legend in sustainability circles, John Elkington, about global goals and exponential solutions. What do the Rosetta Stone and Babblefish have to do with all of that? Watch for the story. And that's it for now. Well, I'm very curious to hear how that last one pans out. Um, But in the meantime, we've also got a big webcast coming up early next month. On February 2nd, we'll be taking a look at the state of green business in 2016. You'll hear much more about that on the podcast. But for right now, you can go to greenbiz.com, click on the events tab, and sign up for the free webcast. Creating sustainable cities is vital. All production and consumption has to stay in closed cycles. The climate, the land, the ocean ecosystems, all life on this planet is crying out for assistance. Got to end war, make peace, do right by one another. Be generous to every human sister and brother. To achieve these sustainable development goals, we'll give it our minds, hearts, bodies, and souls. Like birds who have stretched their wings. Take 17 goals. Well, that's our 350 podcast for this week uh, and the first of the year. Uh, You can find links to organizations, stories, and events we've mentioned in this episode. Just go to greenbiz.com slash 350. Thanks, as always, to 350's producer, Soraya Malconian. As always, we like your feedback and ideas and comments. Just send it to 350 at greenbiz.com. And as always, for the latest news, insight, and resources on sustainable business and clean technology, visit greenbiz.com and subscribe to our daily newsletter, Green Buzz. For all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, have a great day. Turn